0: We just had the reading in Mark chapter 1 about Jesus touching a man with leprosy. We don't think about it from that standpoint. We usually think about it from the standpoint that he healed him. But what an interesting thing that we had someone, and I remember when I was looking you know, for the PowerPoint for this weekend, and I was thinking of you know, what was out there on PowerPoint sermons or whatever could be made up, and most of those are so nice and pretty looking. Leprosy or uncleanness is not pretty. It looks pretty ugly. And some might think it's too graphic. But I want you to know something about this picture that in the next few minutes will stand out from a spiritual standpoint. And I'm hoping because when we look at our lives and consider the way that we walk with the Lord, oftentimes we see someone like that and we don't want to be around him. When when we look at someone that has leprosy, if you've ever seen people, of course, not many people, right, have leprosy, but you can go to other parts of this world. They exist. Look back in books of times in which this existed in culture, and and you'll see people that have leprosy, but it's not leprosy. It could be anything else. I've seen it. I'm looking at people that maybe because of our age, we look different as we get older. One of the things that we had a good relationship with Grandma before she passed away. Not Granny Gogo, but Grandma Chi. And and I remember Grandma from the time she was in her 50s and 60s when she started getting pretty bad with her rheumatoid arthritis. And pretty soon her fingers started to bend and twist and what have you and, well, I guess we loved Grandma so much we could joke with her about it, but she'd point to us except for she'd have to turn this way and kind of point the other way and we said, Grandma, who are you pointing to? And It's just one of those things that if you weren't comfortable with that situation, you don't know how to react. And there are people that won't go to nursing homes as a result. They won't look to someone that has maybe cerebral palsy, or whether it's autism, or whatever the situation is because we are sick. And in fact, we might hear more and more, and this is, I I didn't hear it when I first heard the gospel, but I hear it very easily now. Don't come to church if you think you have a code. I mean... It's that extreme and I'm not I am not saying that from a literal standpoint. No one's ever said if you think you're having a vote, but that's what it feels like. We don't want to get what you have. And I can understand the reasoning for it. But when it comes to the lame, the sick, the disease, many of us we don't want to be around anyone like that because, well, it may be contagious. Maybe that because they look scary, they look different, whatever it is, they look awful. I just don't know how to react. Or maybe it's a, a self-righteous type of a thing, in that we look at someone infectious, we don't want to catch it, and, and even if it's not contagious. There's a brother in Christ who just died from a very, very horrific disease, where his nervous system just wreaked havoc on his body. And some were just afraid by virtue of the convulsions that he went through. And the first question that was asked by many brethren was, is it infectious? Coming. When it comes to these things, I believe that we get to a point that these are individuals that are quote-unquote untouchable. We just aren't around them so much, so easily. This has happened in congregations that I've worshipped with over the last 20 years I've been in the Lord. There was a particular brother in Christ that because of his hygiene, he sat alone. Because I don't like the way he smells, was the statement. Or that he was presenting himself in a very different way than what we consider normal as far as social behavior. He was untouchable in in many ways. And that's the case too often. But the thing is that when we look at these things from a spiritual standpoint, sometimes we look down upon others in the same vein from a spiritual matter. There was a time when... I was in a meeting in Griffin, Georgia, and I remember this woman that I met. And I told you all I don't have much of a memory. I might have shared this with you when we were visiting here. But I remember she had just come out of living on the streets in Atlanta. She panhandled for over 30-plus years. Her life was drunkenness. And imagine obeying the gospel when you're in your late 50s, early 60s, having been on the streets for over 30-something years, and all you ever know is to stick your hand out and ask for money. That's all you've ever done for the last three decades. You don't speak right. You don't look right. You don't act right. How do you suppose, brethren, look at this sister in Christ who just obeyed the gospel? Well, I can tell you how one couple lived because they weren't members of that congregation. It was a gospel meeting. They came from about an hour drive away and the first thing when they saw her was, whoa. Because not only did she not look right or speak right or act right, she didn't smell right. She reeked of alcohol. And one of the members had to pull her away when she came up to me, introduced herself and asked for $5. She sat alone that service. Unfortunately. Spiritually, sometimes we either don't know how to react or I may look down at someone because, well, they're not up to my spiritual level. Whether it's someone who is in the world or even, and most unfortunately, our own brothers and sisters. And I'm hoping then that if nothing else, this sermon is going to help remind us of the way we look to one another particularly how the Lord looked at us before we're clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. Something to consider from a biblical standpoint, and particularly with the relationship that Israelites would have with God. We do this journey through the Bible thing, or at least I would teach this journey through the Bible with someone who said, I want to kind of get this overall picture of the Scriptures. And so we, we have in similar vein with what Bob and Cedric Waldron had in Athens, Alabama with, with their uh, 17 periods of the Bible, where you can break things down systematically. But one of the things I think about when, when I look to the book of Leviticus is this concept of holiness. This concept of being clean from a ceremonial standpoint, so that if you look a certain way or you're classified as being unclean, this is what you need to do to be clean. And in does not necessarily deal with sin. For instance, when you look at the Scriptures, you can look at Leviticus chapters 13, 14, even go back to chapter 11 and 12 for that matter, chapter 5 for that matter, deals with various uncleanness, whether you're touching things or what have you. But one of them was with leprosy. And having leprosy was not necessarily associated with sin, although Mary might come to your mind. But think about that. You have leprosy. However you got it, and it was contagious, and when you had this leprosy, according to other passages in the Scriptures, you would have to declare yourself unclean before others. Imagine living in a city, and people were walking near you, you would have to say to them, depart, unclean. And people would not be around you as a result. If you had leprosy, on you after you try to get yourself clean according to the teachings in Leviticus 13 and 14, you would go on the seventh day to see the priest. And he would declare whether or not you're clean or not. And you would go back a second time if you're not clean. Another seven days later. And after a while, if you continue to have, if you're walking in this uncleanness, you're regarded as unclean. That's your status in life. And when you're unclean, you're outside the camp of Israel. You could not remain in the tent because you would cause others to become unclean with leprosy. Well, there might be a, another situation, like women. When giving birth, when giving birth with all the blood that comes out, she was declared for the seven days as unclean. And then after those seven days, she would go through the purification. She would have to wait another 30 days if she had a son, or 60 days if she had a daughter. She went through the time of purification but she needs to become clean again. There's no shame in having this child. But she was looked at as unclean. And during that time, the, the time of being unclean, she would be outside the camp. Whatever it is, there's all kinds of scriptures dealing with what happens when you are unclean, whether you eat something unclean or touch something that is noted as being unclean. Certain animals, if you will. So here, in Leviticus 5, you are taught to stay away from those who are unclean. Now, imagine with that mindset that you have. This is just ceremonially unclean. Imagine the view that began to, to grow out of that mindset so that people would look at people with leprosy and Not only is this, are they just unclean, but this attitude of, I don't want anything to do with you. Not a matter of, well, he's unclean ceremonially. I cannot be with him, otherwise I'll get it. But beyond that, this is someone that is to be loved is someone that needs to be cared for in some way that is possible. And so we have this attitude. And by the time we get to Jesus, many people who were looked at as ceremonially unclean were classified with sinners. Classified as sinners. In fact, they were grouped along with sinners. You don't have fellowship with the sinners. Of course, you don't have fellowship with those who are unclean. That's this mindset. And so when you get to a passage like Luke chapter 10 and you have that Uh, story of the Good Samaritan, that parable? Remember how you had this priest that walked on one side of the man that was half dead on the road? Passed by, right? The next person, the Levite, passes along on the other side of that half dead man? Doesn't do anything to help him. Here's someone who's half dead. If I check to see if he's dead and he is dead... What does that make me? Unclean. At least until this evening. But I'm not so much as willing to help this person. Because they're unclean. Potentially unclean. No telling there are other facets that come to our mind, like maybe you might get robbed along the way, you yourself might... That might be just a setup right there. Whatever the, the thinking, no doubt, one of the things that would come to the religious person, who is supposed to be clean... Who would be on duty, if you will, and I don't think these men would have been on duty if they were walking away from Jerusalem. But here they are, passing along this man. They wouldn't want to touch him. With that in mind, let's go back to Mark chapter 1. And I want us to actually look at this text again and see just how amazing it was that Jesus healed this man of leprosy. Look again again at Mark 1. Now, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling to him, and saying to him, "If you are willing, you can make me clean." On the great concept that this person has of Jesus, that he has that kind of conviction that he would be willing to go up to Jesus, knowing that if he's unclean, he is supposed to say to everyone, "Depart from me, unclean." Yet he comes nonetheless. Then Jesus moved with compassion. Stretched out his hand and touched him. He said, I'm willing. He claims. Imagine the people that were around. Him. Imagine the people that would have witnessed this, whether it be his own disciples or any other bystanders. What these supposed to be on in their minds. What comes to my mind, and the reason why we can look at a passage like Matthew 11 and other texts, if imagine one of the, the Jews that would be there, maybe a Pharisee, maybe someone who is a lawyer, and someone who knew the, the nuances of the law. You know what he would say? Number one, that man with leprosy should not have come to Jesus. Number two, Jesus should not have touched that man with leprosy. Does he not know he's unclean? Surely if he was a man of God, he would know that. Jesus did know. Yet he reached out his hand and touched this man who was unclean. Better yet, he healed him. That tells you that God's power is behind the action. That tells you that God believed it to be okay, so to speak, that he would allow his son to go and touch someone that according to the law of Moses would have been unlawful. Now, we're not promoting unlawfulness. What I am saying is, He's even Lord over the law. He is the law giver. He's our Savior. He's our King. He's our creator. And here's this man who comes up and asks him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus did so. Now look at Matthew chapter eleven. And notice the text here in this reading. Remember when when John the Baptist, by now he's in prison, but he wants to know, is this person I've been hearing about, is he in fact the Messiah? Is he the Christ that was spoken of to come? So it came to pass, verse 1 of Matthew 11, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. What was it they saw? Jesus says, Go tell them these. The blind see. Do you know if you're blind, you're defiled, you're unclean, you cannot serve in the priesthood. You cannot serve as a leper. The blind see. The lame walk. If you're defiled in this way, you cannot serve in the priesthood in this manner. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead, the unclean dead, they're raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. What do you suppose Jesus was getting at? Was was it just a matter of miracles taking place? But more than that. Was it a mindset of where the gospel was going out to? You see, I believe there's a picture being painted here. There's a picture that is given that kind of looks something like this. You ever heard of a man who had the title as Father Damien? He lived in Hawaii. Lived on the island of Molokai. He lived in a place called Kalau Papa. And in this area were all the people, whether from the mainland or the Hawaiians who contracted the leprosy from people from, from here, the mainland, and They would have these people shipped off from various parts of the islands to this place on Molokai. It was a very secluded area of the island. That's what a person with leprosy would look like when it's full-blown. Pretty ugly. Limbs. Horrendous to look at. I believe this is a picture that that God has for us, given in Matthew chapter 11. When he says, you go and tell John the things you hear and the things you see that you're eyewitness to, the unclean are clean. Now, you consider that and couple it with the statement when, when the Pharisees would question what Jesus would do toward these people who are sick. And Jesus said, I do not come to heal those who are well, but to those who are what? In need of the great physician. Those who are sick. Those who, in essence, are unclean. He came to heal sinners. That's the point. You know, if you think you are right with God, do you think you need to be saved from your sins? If you think you're well, you know, only those who come before us, like during the invitation, when we have our, from a tradition standpoint, we come forward at the very end of the sermon and we're asking people to respond to the gospel call, only individuals that understand in their minds that here's an opportunity for me to have my sins washed away through that burial and baptism into Jesus Christ. The cleansing that takes place by an answer of a good conscience. You don't come unless you have that conviction. You're not baptized into Christ, maybe on a one-on-one Bible study, unless you're convicted that you're lost in your sins, and you need to be healed. Of those very sins. This is how God views us from that spiritual standpoint without the blood of Jesus. Without the healing blood. So, when we look at it from that standpoint, hopefully it helps us to understand the way we will view other individuals. And so, what? excuse me, let me go back here. We need to understand that sometimes the way we look at sinners is that we won't touch them. If you go, and I've not been to downtown Nashville in 20 years. The last time I was in downtown Nashville was 5 o'clock in the morning, every morning running. I used to exercise that way when I was in Nashville. No one was there. But if it's like Atlanta, and I don't know if it's too much like Atlanta, (laughs) I bet they're homeless. They live in downtown Nashville. I believe there's probably um, ladies of the night in downtown Nashville. I bet there are drug dealers and drug addicts in downtown Nashville. That's not to say that doesn't happen here in Franklin or Williamson County, for that matter. But there's a whole lot of people that are quote-unquote unclean. They're they're in their sin. And then again, brethren, right next door to you in that wonderful-looking house, beautiful brick, beautiful siding, are people who are just as unclean. In their homes are people walking in darkness. They're unclean before the Lord. And unfortunately, it happens in the body of Christ. There are those walking unclean. And they may be in our midst. We might have brothers and sisters in Christ unbeknownst to us, but known to God, that are unclean. Walking in sin. And if we know that is the case, well, either we continue, maybe even in a puffed-up manner like the bird at Corinth has given in First Corinthians 5, tolerate such sin, or we can work with them with genuine love that they may be cleansed from all unrighteousness. But the thing is, many aren't even willing to touch the unclean. What I'm so encouraged with, I'm so glad David had mentioned the letter that Jason had written that brethren are willing to go see our brother who's been incarcerated. But there may be those who are incarcerated in a whole different way, spiritually speaking, that we may not be willing to go and see. You know, Until that fellowship is withdrawn, we with great love should be quote-unquote touching, if you will, from a spiritual standpoint, the way G- Jesus reached His hand out to these brethren. And so whether it's from a standpoint of brothers and sisters in Christ or otherwise, we're not willing. And that's what Luke chapter 7, when you look at the text there, this person was amazed that Jesus would allow this sinner to touch him. Look at the text there. Luke 7. It says in verse 36, "...one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house, sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him, weeping, she began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. She's a sinner. But the way the sinners were looked at were like those with leprosy. Unclean. And his mindset was such that when the the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. That's powerful that Luke records it in that way. Jesus reached out, so to speak. If not literally, from a standpoint of allowing her to worship at his feet. In her form of, if you will, repentance in that regard. If we are going to extrapolate that principle from here, we need to be better than, more righteous than, the Pharisees. We need to have a standard that we see in our Savior, in our Lord, in how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, how we treat those who are outside the body of Christ, when we want to reach the gospel to them, when we want to build up those weak hands, if you will, And so we, if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to reach those who are otherwise regarded as untouchable. I'll give you an illustration. The coincidence may be for this illustration this morning. On Friday of this week, there's a man, probably in his maybe early 40s, comes into the building. Richard Terry was here. Now, Whit was here with myself. Got into a real big fight with, with mom and dad, with my dad in particular, and long story short, is, we're headed to Florida, but we have nothing. I'm thinking, this, this poor man, for whatever the reasons are, and I could be in my head going, Well, shouldn't you apologize to your dad? How do you know what the situation was? Find out, he's got 10 children. And they're all in this van in what, 90 something degree weather out here? Twelve of them in this tiny minivan. Needing help. Well, you know, don't you know that if he were just Live Right, you wouldn't be in this situation? Oh, I didn't say that to him. But there's some that would think that way. And that could very well be true. Maybe if he were her, He wouldn't be in that situation. That's beside the point. Do I view him as untouchable for someone to reach out? Of course, I had the opportunity to talk to him about his service to the Lord, introduced him to another gospel preacher that I know lived in Tampa Bay who I know loves the Lord, gave him hopefully enough gas money to make it to Tampa, Florida, and to find a place that would have the food with the food pantries here in Williamson County. But you see, Many wouldn't even give a person the time of day. But you know, I'm sharing this with you because you shared in helping him this week. Thankfully, our elders admit we have certificates that brethren have contributed to so that if someone is in need, you help them. Brethren, you helped him. You helped the family this week. You touched their lives, so to speak. It's a wonderful thing. We need to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. Now, that's from a physical standpoint, but spiritually, in the same way, reaching the gospel to those who are lost, building up the saves of those who are walking in darkness. This is the way we follow in the footsteps of our Savior. That's so important that we do that. And so, if we're going to follow in the footsteps of our Savior with great compassion, we're going to reach out to those who are the untouchables, if you will. We're going to do it because the screech unclean need the very cleansing that we've gone through. And the only way we understand that, brethren, is if we look at our life before we stand to our God in judgment without the blood of Jesus. How many of you could actually stand before Him? How many of you even feel like you could? If you raised your hand, I would really question your understanding of God's Word, first of all. No one can stand before our Lord. We're all unclean before Him. We're told in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, there is not one righteous. Not one. We're all deserving of the wages of being outside the camp of this kingdom, if you will, without the blood of Jesus. But if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and we become clean like Him, then we will go forward. And we're actually going to hold the hands, if you will, of the lame We're going to make the path straight, if you will, for the feeble knees and be cleansed. That's what we're going to do. In fact, when we live this way, brethren, when we help our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need, from a spiritual standpoint as well as the physical, but help them in this regard, we're doing the very thing that the gospel talks about. Loving our God and loving our neighbor. That's what we're doing. But what's real nice to understand is that when you live this way, you are clean. Didn't Jesus say that to His disciples in John 13 when He was reclining with them as they had for taking of that supper? And remember after Judas, who was unclean by the way, had gone off to do His deed, He said to His disciples after Peter had said, Lord, well then clean me. He said, you are already clean. That's what happens when you walk in the light. That's what happens when you're a doer of the Word of God, when you walk by faith, when you follow in the footsteps of our Savior, when you follow that example that He had given in John 13. Brethren, this is the way we need to be living every single day. And it's a joyous way of living. It changes the way we look at each individual. We look at sinners and say, well, that's me without the Lord no matter how righteous I try to live my life, no matter how clean I try to live from a spiritual standpoint, I still fail. And you do the same. It's a matter of whether we admit it or not. And if we understand we're all in the same situation, then we can empathize with, and maybe even at times sympathize with those who are walking in uncleanness. while well, we may be clean ourselves, but we'll understand and we'll have that compassion. And when we do that, we'll be reminded of how our Christ cleanses us from our sins, from our impurities, and how we can help others in our walk with the Lord. I want you to know that if if you're walking in sin, you're dirty right now. You're unclean. But you can be clean by the blood of Jesus.